Well, Bethel, let's pray together as we come to God's word today. Gracious, merciful God, thank you for your kindness to us that we have been able to sing your praises, even right here and right now. As we come to your word, I ask that you would, Holy Spirit, illuminate the truth of your word, exalt Jesus Christ in our midst, transform our hearts and our lives to the glory of God the Father. We pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen and amen. What a, what a wonderful morning we have had even already, hasn't it been? Getting to worship Christ together, getting to celebrate with these families that have dedicated their children to the Lord. And uh, it's just been such a rich blessing we're getting to have here as we worship and, and unite together as a church family. Life is busy, isn't it? Have you ever found yourself... You know, even even using that as the answer when someone asks how you're doing, you know, how's it going? Oh, you know, keep them busy. Like, it's just, there's like this constant go, go, go from one thing to the next to the next, from from school to work, from work to duties around the house, from the house to all the different things that we've got going on with with our our family and our friends. And it's just like, go, 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 go. If there was one nice thing, maybe, about COVID that we had in this time, it was the fact that we had the opportunity, at least early on, before we maybe all gotten kind of fed up and frustrated with this, to just slow down a little bit, to to just slow down. The busyness of life, the, the drive to always rush, rush, rush to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing it is not a a new problem or a new challenge. It's something that goes back, you know, probably as far as there has been people, as far, and and I know that it's amplified these days with things like screens and smartphones and and electricity and the 24-7 rhythm of life that that seems to be all around us. I know that that just amplifies it, but yet this struggle of always wanting to run to the next, to the next, to the next, goes back all the way. And even in this journey that we have been on for the last you know, number of weeks here in the book of Joshua, I can just imagine the people of God, the Israelites, at the moment that we find ourselves here today, we're facing that inner like go, 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 always wanting to get on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. They had wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years years longing to get to the promised land. They finally got to the, to the, to the edge of it. And there in front of them was the Jordan River at, you know, uh, full swing of um, high waters in the spring. And, and yet, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to get through this? And God opens up the miraculous way for them to walk across on dry ground. They get there. And what's next? Well, there's this giant city in front of them, Jericho, with walls that are 25 feet high and 20 feet thick. And it's like, what are we going to do? We can't go around it. How are we going to go through it? And God does this incredible thing to bring them there. That They go, and what's next? What's next? Well, they, they two attempts to try and take out the city of Ai as their next attempt. And it would be so easy to just run to the next thing and to run to the next thing and to move on to the next step. And yet here we find in the text of Scripture that we're looking at today, God leads Joshua to bring the people to, to a moment of stopping of pausing, of of remembering. In fact, here's the big idea that we're going to see today. We must regularly take time to stop, to pause, and to remember 
God's promises and his ways. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you can, to Joshua chapter 8. Joshua chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 30. God's word says this, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. And there, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in front on Mount Gerizim. Half of them stood in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instruction to bless the people of the Lord, the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. So here, the, the Israelites are just, you know, like, go, 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 go. Always on to the next thing here. They cross the Jordan. And I want to just kind of help you visualize this, even on the map here. And so you'll see this pop up on the screen. At first is they come up to the Jordan River, and, and they go across the Jordan River. God miraculously opens that up, which then leads them into Jericho. God profoundly brings the walls tumbling down in Jericho. And so then he leads them into Ai, and they find victory there against AI. And then you would think, you know, it's going to be marching into the rest of the rest of the nation and take it all over. We see actually in chapter nine that they end up making camp as sort of their like, you know, you might call it base camp in, in Gilgal. But before they go any further, Joshua says, we need to stop. We need to pause. We actually need to go up into the mountains for a trek. And he gets all of the people and he takes them up into this valley between these two mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. Up north, it probably was several days' journey for all of the people to go because God knew we need to regularly stop and pause and remember God's promises and God's ways. He teaches them this. He teaches us this. Joshua brings all the people in this trek up to the mountains and he brings them to stop and pause and remember with really three piercing questions that come out of this time. Three piercing questions that really went right to the heart of the people of Israel there and even today, God uses to pierce right into our hearts. Here's the first really piercing question that comes right out of this section of scripture. It is this, am I living just as God commanded. This scripture here prompts the people of Israel and us, this scene going on, to ask this question, am I living just as God commanded? I want you to notice here in this text the repetition that we see in just even these five verses. It says in verse 30, chapter 8, verse 30, then Joshua built on Mount Ebal and altars the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. Again in verse 30, Joshua built according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses. 
Verse 33, Joshua did all of this as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Verse 34, afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and curses, just as it was written in the book of the law for him to do. Verse 35, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read. Five times in these five verses, we see this repetition, this this drum being beaten here for us, this emphasis on obedience. This emphasis on obedience. This whole scene was not Joshua's own idea. This was not Joshua's plan of a retreat. Joshua was obeying meticulously and carefully the direction that God had given. We find these directions in Deuteronomy chapter 11. The book of Deuteronomy chapter 11, it says this, verse 29, When the Lord your God has brought you into the land you are entering to possess, you are to proclaim on Mount Gerizim the blessings and on Mount Ebal the curses. As you know, these mountains are across the Jordan, west of the road, towards the setting sun, near the great trees of Moray, in the territory of the Canaanites, living in the Arabah, in the vicinity of Gilgal. God here gives him very specific directions. In this spot, at this moment, we have really this actual double whammy of obedience going on here. This double whammy emphasis going on here. First, we see the example of Joshua, right? Joshua embodies, he puts skin and bones on as an illustration, a living object lesson of obedience. The the people of Israel had heard these commands before they entered into the promised land. And Joshua here is living out right in front of them everything God has said to do. And so right in Joshua, they see a picture of the obedience that God is calling his people to. As well, though, you have to notice what is going on in this moment. Okay? You have to enter into the text here and picture what's going on and why God is having them do this. It's a second double whammy of obedience, a call to obedience here. This whole exercise that is happening in the mountains here is about reminding the people of God of the importance of obedience. Joshua brings all of them up into the mountains in this valley in between two mountains, okay? You know, picture it. On one side is this giant rock face. On this other side is this giant rock face. And you're in between these two mountains. And he has the people split up on either side. Half of them go over on this side on the base of the mountain of Ebal. Half of them go over on this side on the base of the mountain of Gerizim. And in the middle is the Ark of the Covenant, and there Joshua is in the middle as well. And and Joshua makes this altar, and and then he commands the people, "I, I want you to think, okay? I want you to think about, I want you to imagine, I want you to visualize this mountain of Ebal over here represents, is a picture, is a reminder of all of the the curses that God has given, God's, God's solemn warnings of how not to live. And if you do turn your back on the Lord, if you do disobey him, if you do follow a different way than his direction, not because he's trying to ruin your fun, but because he's trying to warn us, these are going to be the consequences. And so he points and declares all of the consequences. If you choose 
this. And, and just picture it like this giant mountain right here is, is all of those curses. And then he, then he turns and he says, picture over here, Mount, Mount Gerizim. This is, this is the promises of blessing of the Lord. This is, what, this is all the promises that God has given. If you follow him, if you, if you live in his ways and the way that you will thrive because it's God's blessed way upon you. And now, people of Israel, you are standing in between these two mountains. And what you are to see in your head, in your mind's eye, in your heart here, is this object lesson, is this fork in the road sort of moment. Which one are you going to choose? Which, which path are you going to walk down? Which lifestyle are you going to embrace? The, the one like Mount Ebal that it represents here of turning your back upon the Lord or the one of blessing and following in his ways. The one of warning or the one of encouragement and celebration. Which path will you choose? All the people are standing here and seeing this all go down, and this is the heart of what it is. It's a, it's a call to ask us, am I living just as God commanded? Am I going to live just as God commanded. You know, God gives us so many different examples or or instances of this, and it's not just about, you know, mountains in that one moment. It profoundly comes out in that scenario, and as we read about it here, but there's so many other ways that God brings us to these same sort of confrontation, fork-in-the-road moments. Which way are we going to choose to live? Which way are we going to choose to follow? You mean, I, I just even think of gathering together like this. I I think of the opportunity we have to unite together in worship and, and why do we regularly make this commitment every single week we do this? Because when we unite together in worship, when we come together with God's people and sing out praises to the Lord, when we fellowship and connect together in relationship and see one another, when we pray together and unite our hearts before the Lord, When we hear God's word proclaimed, what it does is it brings us to this this sense of confrontation in the best of ways, and and we, we are confronted to say, which way am I going to live? Am I going to choose the way of disobedience and and not listening to the commands of God, or am I going to heed the commands of God and find life and life abundantly? Which way will I choose? You know, and I and I, I know there's some weeks where it's like, man, I've had a really hard week. And the last thing in the world I want to do is come because I just don't feel, I don't feel worthy of being able to come to church. Or maybe for you even, it's been so long since you've been to church and it's like, what are people going to think when I finally come back in and there's just this wall of hesitancy to come back in person? Because what are people going to think and what are people going to say and all of these fears and what I would just say to you, oh friends, is we need this. We need to bring ourselves back together, even in the hardest of hard times, or even when those obstacles are there, because when we unite together, we are brought to see the beautiful grace and mercy of God, and we can run to Jesus again. When we've had those amazing weeks, those celebration weeks, we need to come back together and be reminded of the two forks in the road, the two mountain cliffs on either side, And to say once again, oh God, thank you for how you helped me in this week. Holy Spirit, work in me and empower me to continue to live 
walking with you each day. Even right now, friends, even right now, let us not rush on to the next thing. The next thing, the next point in the sermon. Let us not rush. The next thing that's going to happen after the service is over and when you turn your TV off, let us not rush. Let us not rush into what's coming next in the week and the the duties that are in our heads of all the things we need to check off. Let us just stop. Pause. Remember the promises and ways of God and allow this question for us even here today to confront us. Am I? Friend, are you living just as God commanded? We come back to our text and we see a second heart-probing question that comes out of this. Is the word of God front and center? Is the word of God front and center in your life, in your day, in your home, in your family, if you have extended family, in our church as we worship, when we go out into our workplaces and go around amongst all of our friends and neighbors, is the word of God front and center as we rush from here to here to here to here to here and next to next next? God is selling us, pause, stop, reflect. Is the word of God front and center right now, friends? Notice what Joshua does here in this scene going on. Verse 32. It says, There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written. Joshua here, as we've already said, has everybody line up. Half are over here, Mount Ebal, right on the base of Mount Ebal. Half are over here, right on the base of Mount Gerizim. And then in front of everyone, presumably right alongside of where the ark is, He pulls out the tablets that God had led Moses to write out the Ten Commandments on. And then Joshua grabs another set of rocks and a chisel. And with everybody watching, he begins to chip away with a little chisel on the rock here, carving out a copy of the Ten Commandments. Imagine how long this would take. We are not talking about minutes here. We are talking about hours upon hours, quite possibly days upon days, while everybody sits there watching. Maybe you have before been to a fair or been in a setting where you've seen like a chainsaw carver. You ever seen one of those where you've got one of those big stumps of of a tree and they use a chainsaw to cut it all away and carve a figure there or maybe like an ice sculpture with a chainsaw? And many people will stand around and they'll watch because this is exciting, this is entertaining. The the chainsaw cuts so fast and and, and there's going to be this grand reveal. That is not at all what's going on here with Josh. This is, not, this is not fast. Frankly, this is not entertaining or excitement. That's not the point. The point here is Joshua is teaching the people a deep, profound, life-changing lesson as he chips away on that rock. He is chipping away to engrave a lesson upon their hearts. The word of God 
is to be front and center. Watch. Watch for hour upon hour, O people of God, as Joshua meticulously, slowly, carefully carves into these tablets the very word that God has given to his people in the Ten Commandments to Moses on the mountain. The commands of God must come to the front and center of everything we do, everything we are, every way we live, every decision we make. Sit here, watch as Joshua copies this out. Little chip by little chip. Don't go anywhere. Don't wander away. You need to see how important this is. And once again, this lesson is doubly driven home here because not only is the object lesson of watching Joshua carefully carve these new tablets of the Ten Commandments here, we also see what happens after he's done carving out the Ten Commandments on the tablets. Look at verse 34. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read. The law here, this time, is not referring to the Ten Commandments on the tablets, but more broadly to the law, which is the first five books of the Bible that God led by the inspiration of the Spirit, Moses, to write. The Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what he's talking about here. Joseph, or Joshua pulls out the scroll and reads every single word that the Holy Spirit led Moses to write down in all of the first five books of the Bible. Everyone sits there and listens. Everyone is listening. Joshua reads every last bit of it aloud. All of it, not a word of all that Moses had written was not read by Joshua, it says there. Oh, dear friends, how deeply and desperately we need to hear this lesson. How deeply and desperately we need to be challenged with this question. Is the word of God front and center? Is the word of God front and center in your life and in my life, in your family and in my family, in our church? Is the word of God front and center? What you need every week is not just me standing up sharing my ideas or my thoughts about random different things going on or my rants about whatever. We don't need more rants. What we need is the word of God to be front and center every single week. We need to open our Bibles and see what does God have to say to us. We need the word of God to lead in our homes, to direct us every step of our days as we walk through in in at home and at work with friends and family and neighbors and coworkers and whatever it might be. We need the word of God to be front and center. Friend, is the word of God front and center in your life? Is it? Is the word of God front and center in your life? Think about, think about the word of God as if it's a filter, okay? A filter that you come and, and measure everything through that you do in your days. How often in your days are you coming and measuring the things that you have just done, the things you said, the ways you've acted, the thoughts in your head? How often are you coming and measuring through the filter of God's word 
to see how they measure up. How often is that happening? Did the way that I just treated that person at work, at the grocery store, whatever it was, down the hall in the apartment building, did that just filter through the ways that God's word tells me how I am to treat that person? How often are you wrestling with that? Pondering that, using the word of God to be a filter is the way that I am spending my time in line with the way God tells me to spend my time? How often are we bringing our lives to the filter of God's word to see how we measure up? Am I getting passionate and fired up about the things that God tells me in his word to get passionate and fired up about? Are the things that are really igniting a burden in my heart coming from the word of God, driven by the word of God, or am I getting caught up in a whole bunch of other things. It's, it's so easy. I think the most prevalent thing we use as a filter is not the Word of God, but we have this bent to measure ourselves against everybody else around us. You know what I'm talking about? Like it, it's so easy to, to look around us and see this, this person that I really admire really admire the way she carries herself and, and how she interacts with others and the things that she posts online or the stances that she takes. I really admire. And, and so how am I doing relative to how that person carries themselves? And, and we filter ourselves against how this person we really admire is and try to emulate and follow after. And if, if they're doing it this way, then that's how we should do it, right? Isn't it? Or, or maybe we, we look at another person, this guy who is just like, I want nothing to do with the way that guy is acting. And so we, we look and say, well, I'm not like him. I, I don't behave in that way. I don't write posts in that way. I don't, I don't comment to people in that way. I don't act in that way. So I must be good, right? Because I'm not like that guy. How easy it is to, to say, well, you know what that person has done? Do you know what they did to me? <laughs> do, you know what, do you know how they actually carry themselves? Do you know how much they have messed up? Do you have any idea what they've done wrong? You know what? They deserve it. They've got it coming. There's nothing wrong with how I'm acting towards them or speaking of them because they deserve it. And in so many different ways, we, we use the filter of other people around us, whether it's a person we, we admire and we want to emulate them, whether it's a person we despise and we hold our, down our noses and say, I'm not like that person, whether it's a person who's deeply wounded us and we want to say, it doesn't even matter what I do to them because they deserve it. But none of these things are the filter by which we are to measure ourselves against. Do you know what the filter we are to come to is? God's word. God's word. How does my life measure up to the word of God? Is the word of God front and center? Is this what I keep coming back to? God here is saying to his people, then the Israelites thousands of years ago and us today, stop. Don't keep running to the next, to the next, to the next. Don't keep looking at everybody else around you to see how you're doing. Stop. Pause. And remember, remember, this question, is the word of God front and center in my life? 
And thirdly, final question we see coming right out of this moment here in the valley between these two mountains. Am I leading my entire household to God? We are prompted with this question, friends. Am I leading my household to the Lord? Did you notice who is here in the valley between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, standing on either side with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle and Joshua there with the tablets and then reading at the Lord. Did you notice who is here? Let me read for us again, verse 33. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were with the Levi, who were Levites. Verse 35. This, there was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Who was there? Who was there? Absolutely everyone. Everyone. The, the, the leaders, the elders, the judges, the prominent people, the, the insignificant and the, the marginalized, the citizens and the aliens, the young and the old, the men and the women, the elders and the children, everyone is here. Everyone is included. Everyone is rallied together at this moment. And Joshua here has everyone together because he is taking it upon himself to have the people stop, pause, and remember to inform them of the importance of God's word, of the importance of following the Lord's ways, of the importance of leading each and every person and each and every household to follow the ways of God. He is showing by example for the people then and for us now that we are to strive to lead our entire households in the ways of the Lord. So let me ask you, friends, even here today, or especially on a day like this, when we have taken some time to to acknowledge and celebrate with some of our young families who have dedicated their children to the Lord, let me ask all of us, are you leading your entire household to God? Are you? Are you actively, purposefully, leading your entire household to the Lord. This is a call for those parents who who stood up during our service and who we got to acknowledge here today. This is a call for every single parent who has children in their homes. Parents, are you actively, intentionally, purposefully striving to lead your household in the ways of Jesus? There are all kinds of ages and stages in this journey, right? I get it. Like in my own household, we've got from 3 to 14 amongst our kids. And for different ages and different stages, it's going to need to look different. There's not a standardized formula to this, and so it needs to be kind of felt out and customized to each different home. But are, are, are you parent? with your children in your home, however the age and stage, and however you need to customize that for the different ages and stages, are you purposefully, intentionally leading your homes in the ways of the Lord. Is this just a word for those, though, with young kids? 
No, not at all. This is a word for everyone. If you are a single person, this is a word for you. Your household is you. Are you leading everyone in your household in the ways of the Lord? If you have got teenagers or young adults in your home, this is a message for you. Are you leading your entire home in the ways of the Lord? If you are a newlywed and you don't have any kids and it's just your husband and wife there and you're just getting your family started, are you leading your family, your entire household in the ways of the Lord? If you're an empty nester and there's no more kids under your roof, you're not out from under this anymore, are you leading your entire household in the ways of the Lord? If you are retired, if you are even a widow, are you leading purposefully intentionally your entire household, even if it's just you, in the ways of the Lord. Everyone was here with Joshua. Let me read verse 33 again. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges. Verse 35, the whole assembly of Israel, including women and children. All of it. So friends, brothers, sisters, are you reading the Bible with your household, whatever that looks like, whoever that is? Are you praying with your household? Are you teaching those in your household how to pray if they need to learn how to pray? Are you memorizing scripture together in your home, spurring each other on in this? Are you committing to make worship as a family a priority, gathering together with the people of God, setting apart that time, saying this is a priority for our family every single week. Are you? Everyone, are you leading your home toward the Lord? Can can you make them all believe? No. Can you force it down their throats? No. Does this need to have a certain degree of recognition of the complexities and challenges that that some different families or maybe all of our families have? Yeah, I get that. But again, let that not be grounds to just dismiss this away. It might be grounds to say, okay, I need to kind of think about how I customize this and do it with care. And if you're wrestling through this and you're like, I don't really know how this applies to me in my context, I can't speak at this time to every single context. I would love nothing more than to get to connect. Like reach out. And I'd love to get to connect and come alongside and talk about, okay, how do you specifically apply this to your context if you feel like it's a unique one? But I think for all of us, this command still comes down for us. This call, this heart-probing question still comes. Am I leading my entire household in the ways of the Lord towards God? You know what I would say, though, is the single biggest challenge for all of us. We all face this. I know I face it, and you might even think like, oh, really? Like, even as a pastor, we all face this. Here's the single biggest challenge in this point. It is this. No matter what our family makeups are, we struggle with fear, and we struggle with insecurity. We struggle with fear, and we struggle with insecurity. We are afraid of how are others going to react when I try to lead in this way, when I try to serve in this way, when I try to step out in this way, what are, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? We are afraid because we've neglected this in the past. And, and, we, and we feel like it's just, it's just too hard now. Too much water has passed under the bridge. I can't do that now. 
Or we've tried this before and, and we got it going a little bit, but then we slipped and we let it go. And it's like, man, I feel embarrassed to even bring this back up because I've tried this and it, I feel like it, it didn't work or that's what they're gonna say. We feel insecure worrying about how we don't know what to say. We don't know how to speak. We're going to sound silly. We don't know enough information and have enough answers. We, we fear, you know what? My family knows kind of my dark underbelly. They see how messed up I am. They see the mistakes. They see the worst part of me, and they're just going to kind of scoff. <laughs> really? Oh, here we go again, hypocrite dad. And so we're afraid. We're insecure. And, and I will just say, I get it. I really do. I feel that too. But to this I guess my greatest encouragement to us is this. It's worth it. it. It may not be the easiest thing in the world for us to step up and start to try and lead our homes in this way. But friends, it's worth it. It, it may mean eating some of our pride and taking a, a big bite of humble pie, but it's worth it. It may mean having to confront some of those fears and insecurities. It may mean having an initial scoff. It may mean having to admit that we tried before and we let it go and we need to try again, but it's worth it. It is worth it, friends. It is worth the effort. It is worth the, the humility. It is worth the investment. It is worth the mistakes along the way. It is worth continuing to strive after this. Because what more important thing is there for our families than to know and to love and to live for the Lord? So friends, brothers and sisters today, I know life's busy. I know there's a lot that goes on. I know how easy it is to rush from one thing to the next to the next and always be looking ahead in life, in work, in things around the house, even in our faith and the journey that God might have ahead of us, like the people of Israel here, to be jumping on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But what we see here from God's word is this today. We see a challenge. We see an encouragement. We see a reminder stop, pause. Don't just run on to the next thing and the next thing. Stop, pause. And will you remember God's purposes, God's promises, and God's ways for you and your home and your family today?